In preparing for this, reading over the scripture, there was only one part that truly made sense when it said mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and it was just there. I kid. I think. (laughs) But as we come together, we, we realize that with all the divisiveness that is present in society these days, it seems like the last thing we need is a gospel text that seemingly encourages more division. On the face of it, Jesus calls for or predicts that very thing. And as we dive into this text, there are certainly other interpretations available. Situated inside this section, there are ample evidence to suggest that Jesus is setting the stage for the eventual outcome of his ministry and what that means for those who follow him. This particular section can be looked at as as really having three parts. The first is a quick summary of his ministry and his eventual end, a fire of cleansing judgment that spreads good news, and the baptism of his death in order to conquer death. Following this is a discussion of the effects the gospel might have on anyone who follows him. And finally, a warning from Jesus about our willingness to hear and see only what we want to. The first part of this from Luke 12, verses 49 and 50, we hear this language of fire and think judgment. And that may be what Christ wants us to think for now. But in reality, the fire of judgment is perhaps about our own inability to save ourselves. The cleansing fire reveals what we need and that we need God. Fire was meant to destroy the reigning religion and religiosity that people use as a way of guaranteeing their salvation. Yet, ironically, it actually distanced people from God. Could the same be said for our own faith today? We come to this place with with certain expectations among us. We set the alarm for a certain time. We had the clothes that we dress and probably a little different than what we wear on our day-to-day basis. We get our children ready without too much screaming. We go to Sunday school again without too much screaming. And and we embrace what God is doing here in fellowship and friendship. We come to our padded pews. We're comforted with air conditioning, with beautiful singing, and with the place that welcomes us in. But yet, do we use this place, this time, as a way of guaranteeing our salvation? Are we looking for what Jesus is going to do? For Jesus, and in this passage, fire will burn down our human need for security. And by extension of that, those institutions that provide human security instead of security in God. All too often, we place our faith in what's comfortable and not in what we're called to. 
The fire talk and this scripture is, is followed by the talk of baptism, which has promise within it. Baptism, in, in my mind, is, is a time of, of coming forward. And I think of my girls and bringing them before the church on Easter Sunday dressed in this white garment and baptizing them both at nine days old. They have no idea at that moment what that means. Yet for us, it's a promise. Baptism is not meant to be a simply an easy, just joyous occasion. Baptism offers for us a promise. But on the other hand, in the baptism we hear in this text, for Jesus, baptism leads to death. Death on a cross that we might have life. This death turns our baptism joy into joy and into celebration. For otherwise, it's just a marking of, of time, a marking of place, a marking of membership. But for us, remembering Christ's life and his death with his resurrection brings us joy but invites us to remember God's calling upon us. This means that Christ's baptism and his ministry and death on a cross, it goes before, it prefigures our own baptism, and it provides us a bridge for the next section in the scripture about division. Our callings are quite different. Our callings to stand and preach, to teach, to heal, to nurture, to guide, to lead, to prophesy. They do not end the day that we're baptized. They don't end the day that we just say and accept and, and even join the church. So while joy is a fundamental emotion for baptism, it's joy because of the grace that we have been given. It is joy because we come to this place to hear and to experience God. But it's not because we will never experience pain again. You see, I believe all of us can agree that we live in a broken and divided world. In the next verses of Scripture, 51 to 53, Jesus lets those gathered there know that following him is not easy, particularly because the gospel will not always bring peace. Families were being torn apart when the gospel spread because it changed everything. I'm reminded of a friend of mine. And sometimes you hear preachers say, a friend of mine, and it's just a story to make the sermon sound good. But this really was a friend of mine. Her name was Amy. We went to school together. She was just a year younger than me. And she, her parents, 
were adamant that there was no God. Amy being in school and in some of my classes, we were able to talk, and I invited her to church. She wanted to know what it was about. So I said, just come. We play. We have fun. At that time, we were doing a water balloon series. What youth ministers can come up with is kind of amazing at times. And so she came and had fun. She told her parents that she was just hanging out with friends, which was true. My youth minister got her a Bible, and Amy had to hide her Bible under her bed. This went on for a couple of months. Every Wednesday, her parents would let her come to youth to hang out with friends, not knowing that it was at a church. And Amy began to read the Bible with such fervor and diligence that God worked in such a mighty way that she asked God into her heart. But it wasn't shortly after that that her dad found the Bible. He burned it in front of her. Amy was no longer allowed to hang out with friends on Wednesdays. But Amy still was at school. And we embraced a calling of giving the word of God to Amy. We would photocopy it on eight and a half by 11 paper. Some of us would type it up. So it looked like schoolwork, and she just had a folder in the back of one of her notebooks. And this is how she read the Word of God. This didn't happen years ago. This happened in South Georgia about 15 years ago. It divided a family. Amy knew that she was separating herself from her family, her mom and dad and her siblings. But she knew what the gospel was calling her to. And today, Amy is a social worker, helping children in broken homes experience the love of God in a way that Amy has been gifted with. You see, our context, it may not always happen where there's division, but some, I believe we would all agree that there's some disagreement and strife in families as we work out the call that God has given to us. Maybe your call is to be a believer, to attend church to go to school or achieve a certain degree, engage in social justice issues. The gospel effect can create division. There's no doubt that even churches have experienced division in their histories. The problem may not lie in the division itself, but in how we respond to these separations that happen in our lives. One possibility may be able to see that God is at work in all realities. And that division is not the problem. Perhaps it's our own naive expectations that we have more truth than others. That we know what is right. 
I taught school for one year and realized God was calling me to something else. <laughs> and in that, there was one boy, upper division mathematics, advanced trigonometry and algebra. It took 20 minutes getting this one problem up on the board. And of course, he's the preacher's son, right? He goes, Miss Smith, that's not right. What part? <laughs> what do you mean? I wanted to tell him, just go sit outside. You don't, you, don't, you don't break me down. You don't cause this type of separation. You don't tell me what's wrong. I am the teacher. But I was naive in my expectation that I have more truth than him. I realized I had stopped and messed up at step seven. And we were close to step 12. <laughs> Jesus' talk about division may point to a broken reality for Christianity, no matter how hard we work for unity. Perhaps Jesus' point is that human togetherness, gathering, is not what the gospel is about. The gospel message is not about us coming to church on Sunday morning. It's about us taking the gospel to the world. The gospel preached into the life of an individual who will do its work. And we are left to trust that God is at work and we have to resist our temptation to control the outcome. This causes us to stretch who we are, what we think, what we see in the world. It causes us to break down our judgments and see what Jesus is speaking to our hearts and lives. The racial issues, the gender issues, the sexuality issues in our world today. God is calling us to look outside our comfort zone and find a way to proclaim the glory of God. We look at this scripture, the verses which we've read so far, that we've talked about so far were written for the disciples, those that follow after God, that were his closest companions, that were with him step by step along the way. Verses 54 to 56 speaks to everyone. It moves beyond the disciples, but it, but it speaks to every person around and it goes to one of our favorite issues to talk about when we have nothing else to talk about, the weather. You see a cloud rising in the west and you immediately say, it's going to rain. And so it happens. You live in South Georgia and experience the blowing wind, I added a little there, and you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. But hear what he says to us in verse 56. 
you hypocrites. Do you hear this? You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present time. Our need for control, I believe, is the final point in this section of verses. Jesus addresses our inability to realize what's really happening. Why do we remain blind to all that is happening around us concerning Christ and God? The accusations of hypocrites here is an interesting one. Since Jesus is talking about those who can read signs but can't figure out the present time. We don't see what's going on around us. The hypocrite label might make sense if the hypocrites, maybe us, believe that Jesus brings grace, yet we continue to work under the law to achieve our own righteousness. We work and we try to make it work for us. We show up to church, we're part of this, we give to the offering plate, we fill out our connection card, we do all these things. But we're missing what Jesus is saying. We might come to believe that we have this monopoly of truth about ourselves, our world. The hypocrite thinks they have everything figured out. But they keep using human actions to guarantee God's presence and use that to remain in control. This accusation, this, this word that comes before us, this you hypocrite that we hear, is important to consider seriously as we live out life within the church. See, the church is not this building, but the body of Christ. Do we allow ourselves to hear God's call again and again? Or do we rest comfortably in our church attendance, our social work, our clubs and organizations that we are a part of? Maybe we need to hear it another way. Why do we insist on pretending to ignore the injustices, racial or otherwise, around us? Most likely the answer is that we don't want to see what's really happening or our role in the injustices of the world. Where are you? Where is God speaking to you? You see, if you go back to the beginning... As Jesus is speaking, I have a baptism with which to be baptized. I have a calling with which God has called me to do. And what stress I am under until it's complete. This is not a warm and fuzzy, comfortable, feel-good type of sermon. This goes against the songs that we sing of let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. This passage invites us to look deeper. To stretch our mind in who we are, in our faith, in our practice, 
in our service to the world. This scripture invites us to deal with stress of serving others, of looking at how that goes against the grain of what we think and believe, but we're what God wants us to do. It may cause division. It may cause heartache. But may we never hear the word, you hypocrite, applied to us. May we pour ourselves out on God, trusting in his calling for us to embrace and to share all that he's called us to. Will you join me as we pray? Mighty God, in this moment, the only way to accomplish these things that you have called us to is for us to surrender. Surrender our idea of thinking, our idea of right, and a trust in you. Moving beyond our comfort. Moving beyond what we believe. But God, moving into you. Your presence. Your calling. Your direction for this world. God, we must surrender to you. Giving our hearts, our minds, our actions, our all to your holy presence. Lord, may we experience some of this stress that we would know our lives are being lived worthy of the calling you have for us. Speak into our hearts now, Almighty God, and let us know your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.